Good evening. It's Monday, August 14th. Welcome to a new episode of System Update, our live nightly show that airs every Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, exclusively here on Rumble, the free speech alternative to YouTube. Tonight, we are constantly told that voting is how we control our government and keep it accountable, that the two political parties are so radically different that they simply cannot agree on anything anymore that the days of bipartisanship are therefore sadly over, and that the abuses and excesses of the war on terror have been fully acknowledged, processed, and integrated into the decision-making matrix of our political system. There are many ways to show that each of these propositions is flagrantly false, but one need not explore all of those, and that's because we have to look at just one person who is the living, breathing embodiment of everything that is rotted, deceitful, and destructive, Not in one of the two political parties, but in the bipartisan D.C. ruling class. Her name is Victoria Nuland. She was just promoted by President Biden to the position of Deputy Secretary of State, the second highest ranking position in the State Department behind Secretary of State Antony Blinken, whose whose place she is likely to assume if Biden is reelected. Or for that matter, if most, though not all, of the Republican candidates are elected president. Nuland is in the news this week because she made an extremely embarrassing trip to the country of Niger, where she demanded that the prior president, whom the U.S. was able to control, be reinstated by the military junta that just removed him in a coup. And she threatened all sorts of reprisals for failure to obey. Nuland pretended publicly that the U.S.'s motive in demanding a change of government there is that it stands opposed to coups. The United States simply does not accept the overturn of the democratic order. That argument was literally laughed at in Niger's capital, where they unflinchingly rejected Nuland's demands to visit with the U.S. puppet, who is now under house arrest. In most of the world, Nuland's attempt to feign anger over coups or attacks on democracy is simply laughed at. After all, this is the same Victoria Nuland that got caught on a recorded and leaked telephone call in 2014 plotting to install a pro-U.S. leader as the next president of Ukraine, once the one who was in power, the democratically elected one the U.S. disliked, was removed from power one year before his term expired under the Constitution. All was the result of U.S.-supported protest movements that drove that elected president from power in Ukraine. Indeed, Nuland was seen in the square outside of the presidential palace in Kiev handing out food, drinks, and other refreshments to the anti-government forces that had gathered, demanding removal of the elected president. Imagine if the Russian foreign minister or the Chinese foreign minister came to the United States and joined Occupy Wall Street or Tea Party protests in 2010 to cheer on the angry crowd, promise them support, and tell them their cause was just. That's exactly what Nuland did in Ukraine. And her flamboyant trip to Niger to save that country's democracy happened in the same week that a U.S. State Department cable emerged proving that the State Department officials were threatening the Pakistani military with punishments if it did not immediately remove the country's elected prime minister, Imran Khan. The U.S. at the time was furious that Khan had announced Pakistan's neutrality in the war in Ukraine and wanted him gone. Gone from power, power to which he had been democratically elected. Within weeks of that meeting with the State Department, Khan was indeed removed from power, and now he's been charged and convicted on dubious corruption charges, has been imprisoned, and despite being the country's most popular politician, or rather exactly because of that fact, 
he is now banned from running for political office for the next several years. So when Victoria Nuland prances around on the international stage feigning anger over coups and attacks on democracy, that is purely for domestic consumption. Other than employees of American corporate media and its captive audience, nobody believes this when U.S. officials say it, least of all when it comes from someone with Victoria Nuland's history. But like it or not, Nuland is a very influential power figure in Washington. She becomes seemingly more powerful every year. And that means she deserves a lot more attention and journalistic scrutiny than she has received. So we're going to devote tonight's show to doing exactly that, asking, who is Victoria Nuland? How does someone go from a high-level political position in the Clinton administration in the 90s running Russia or Russian policy to becoming Dick Cheney's top advisor in guiding him to advocate for and implement the invasion of Iraq to working on Russia for the Obama administration under Hillary Clinton and then running Ukraine under John Kerry to once again running Ukraine under Joe Biden? Note that You can vote for whichever political party you want, and Victoria Nuland will still be in power. The only time she was out of power was when Donald Trump was president. And how is it possible that someone who is a neocon extremist, someone who is not only steadfastly devoted to the policies that proved to be so destructive, advocating endless wars and regime change as a way to ostensibly spread democracy, but she's also an integral part of one of the most radical and influential neocon families in the United States— And yet she maintained such popularity in Washington well after neoconservatism was supposedly permanently discredited, disgraced, and discarded. The answers are found in Victoria Nuland, not because she's unique, but because she's so common in Washington. Just as Jeffrey Goldberg's media career trajectory is so representative of corporate media, the more he lies and has spread conspiracy theories that serve the agenda of the U.S. security state, the more he is rewarded and promoted, so too is Newland's ideology and career trajectory highly revealing of what is really valued in Washington. In light of her new promotion and her likely future ones, asking who is Victoria Newland is urgent and informative in and of itself. But asking that question also reveals to us what is Washington really. As a reminder, we are encouraging our audience to download the Rumble app, which is a very high quality. It works, I think, a lot better than the browser. And what that will do, it works for phones or smart TV, is it enables you to follow our program on that app, follow other Rumble programs as well. And when you turn on notifications, it will mean that you are immediately notified, however you ask to be, when our show starts airing live on Rumble. That means you don't have to wait around if we're a little late. You don't have to remember what time we're on. It will automatically notify you of this show and whatever other shows you choose to follow. Downloading the app will really help our show as we build our audience even further. You can encourage other people to download the app, and it really helps Rumble in its ongoing defense of free speech. So we really encourage you to do that, and we think you'll find it to be a benefit for you as well. Uh, System Update is also available in podcast form. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple, and all other major podcasting platforms. Each episode posts 12 hours after they first broadcast live here on Rumble. And if you rate and review the program, it helps spread the visibility of the show. For now, welcome to a new episode of System Update starting right now. A 
Elected officials who wield a lot of power in Washington do sometimes receive a fair amount of media attention, but oftentimes the people who wield real power in Washington, the ones who aren't accountable to the democratic process, who stay in power regardless of which political party you vote for, get far too little attention given how much influence they wield. And that is definitely the case for Joe Biden's new deputy secretary of state, Victoria Newland, who has been occupying crucial positions in the U.S. government going all the way back to the Clinton administration, through the Bush administration, through the Obama administration, skipping over Donald Trump and now wielding more power than ever, especially over Ukraine and the war in Ukraine under Joe Biden. She really deserves a lot more attention than she's received. So let's look at, first of all, at one of the uh, one of my favorite uh, British Uh, reporting outlets, which is responsible statecraft. When Victoria Newland was reported in July 20, uh, on July 25, they said the following, quote, Uber Russia hawk Victoria Newland rises to acting deputy secretary of state. She's done as much as anyone to sour U.S.-Russia ties. Now she is one of Washington's top diplomats. Quote, in a little remark move, the Biden administration announced Monday that Victoria Newland will take over as the acting second in command at the State Department. She replaces Wendy Sherman, who plans to retire at the end of this week. Newland's appointment will be a boon for Russia hawks who want to turn up the heat on the Kremlin. But for those who favor a negotiated end to the conflict in Ukraine, a promotion for the notoriously, quote, undiplomatic diplomat, will be a bitter pill. When Newland was serving in the Obama administration, she had a now infamous leak call with the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. At the maiden uprising, as the maiden uprising rolled the country, the pair of American diplomats discussed conversations with opposition leaders, and Newland expressed support for putting Yatsenuk into power. Yatsenuk would become prime minister later that month after, Russia, for, after Russian-friendly uh, former President uh, Yanukovych fled the country. At one memorable point in the call, Newland said, fuck the EU, in response to Europe's softer stance on the protests. Newland, along with the State Department's sanctions czar, Daniel Fried, then led the effort to punish Putin through sanctions. Another official at State reportedly asked Fried if, quote, the Russians realize that the two hardest-line people in the entire U.S. government are now in a position to go after them. Newland's hawkish inclinations continued after she left the Obama administration. Back in 2020, she penned a foreign policy as a foreign affairs essay entitled, quote, Pinning Down Putin, in which she called for a permanent expansion of NATO bases in the alliance's eastern flank, a move that would be sure to ratchet up tensions between the United States and Russia. As I previously noted, Nguyen also opposed the idea of a, quote, free rollover of New START, the only remaining agreement that limits Washington and Moscow's nuclear weapons stockpile and as it was set to expire in 2021. Now, what I always found most remarkable about Victoria Nguyen's thriving inside Democratic Party administrations such as Barack Obama's and Jill Biden's, where she's clearly one of the most powerful people in the State Department, given portfolios of Russia, where she's a fanatical neocon and hawk, and then the war in Ukraine, where she's as fanatical as anybody in Washington, is that she played a key role in the policy that Washington and corporate media supposedly regarded regards as the most strategically misguided and the most morally unjust of any policy in the last 30 years, which is the U.S. invasion of Iraq. She wasn't just in the Bush administration. She was directly at the side of Dick Cheney. 
She was Dick Cheney's key advisor, not in general, but on the question of the Iraq war. She helped him advocate for that war. She helped implement the war. And then she helped him govern Iraq after the invasion was complete and the insurgency dragged on for many years. Here is Victoria Nolan, just to give you a sense for how long she's been around Washington, how integral she was to not just the Bush administration, but Dick Cheney with regard to Iraq. When you watch a C-SPAN interview in 2006, at this point, she was the U.S. ambassador to NATO under the Bush administration. And here's what she had to say about her work with Dick Cheney. Um, And sometimes it's simply a matter of taking an administration or a group of people who um, have strong political support but don't know how to make the sausage inside a government and implementing what it is that they want to do. You worked for the vice president what years? Uh, 2003 to 2005. So those those first years uh, when we were uh, on the ground in Iraq uh, also got the enormously... Um, exciting experience to to work with him when some of the colored revolutions were going on, the orange revolution. Oh, wow. She got to work with Dick Cheney as these colored revolutions took place. Where did they take place, Victoria Newland? In Ukraine and then the, uh, the, the, the Lebanese revolution. So that was uh, very, very exciting as well. NATO before and NATO afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the difference, by the way, from being the devil? So you can see how excited she was, even back then, about regime change efforts in places like Ukraine and Lebanon, the color revolutions, as they were so inspiringly called in order to make them seem like there was something to celebrate. Who doesn't love color? They're like rainbows. They're beautiful. They're inspiring. They make us happy. She was happy. Now, the fact that she was... U.S. ambassador to NATO under the Bush administration may be even more significant. She was Dick Cheney's key advisor with the war in Iraq because NATO at the time was being pushed by key neoconservatives and hawks as the key to American power into the future. There were a lot of even Europeans suggesting that maybe NATO doesn't have viability anymore given that the whole purpose of it was to protect Western Europe from a country that no longer exists, which is the Soviet Union. That is something Donald Trump was saying in 2016, which is one of the things that made the U.S. security state so hostile toward him. But she certainly wasn't saying that. She was a fanatical booster of of NATO. And remember, it was in this second term of the Bush administration when there was really active consideration for expanding NATO up to the Soviet, up to the Russian border to include Ukraine. That was when... The current CIA director, uh, Bill Burns, wrote a letter to Condoleezza Rice warning her, because she too was a Russian expert and in favor of doing that, he warned Condoleezza Rice that it's not just Vladimir Putin, but essentially everybody in Russia, including Putin's liberal opponents, that regard membership in NATO for Ukraine to be a red line, to be so provocative that Russia would have to consider that to be a grave threat to their country, and he warned that any attempt to expand NATO up to the Russian border, especially if it were to include Ukraine, would almost certainly provoke a war in the Donbass and with Crimea. People knew in Washington that that's exactly what happened, and yet there was Victoria Nuland as she was celebrating the Congo revolutions, including in Ukraine, obviously a cheerleader for the regime change operation in Iraq, 
Also, as the U.S. ambassador to NATO, pushing for NATO to expand and for it specifically to expand up to the Russian border, which, of course, a lot of people in Washington knew at the time that if he tried to do, it would have provoked exactly the war that we now have, the one in Ukraine. Here is a, an article from 2005 on how many people in Washington who were neocons and warmongers were trying to turn NATO into the key weapon for future U.S. wars. There you see the title, NATO, USC's global training role is key to transformation. And it reads, quote, a better equipped, better funded, and more flexible NATO is one of the central foreign policy goals of U.S. President George W. Bush during his second term. In the words of the new U.S. ambassador at NATO, Victoria Newland, the U.S. wants the alliance, quote, retold for the 21st century. The United States has in recent months indicated it wants NATO's next summit to discuss transforming the alliance. She said the United States has already begun talks with allies on how it would like to see NATO change. She said, in a, key, she said a key U.S. wish is to turn NATO into the world's, quote, multilateral security trainer of first resort. Quote, we think NATO has huge untapped potential as a security trainer, Newland said. The United States and many other allies are committing a lot of resources nationally to meet the training needs of lots of our partners. The U.S. and France, for example, are now working with Lebanon to strengthen its security services. We believe that NATO can do more of this collectively, as we have started to do in our training center for the Iraqis. How much better is it to train others to manage their own security than to have to send troops in a crisis? More traditional concerns also feature on the U.S. wish list. Newland said Washington wants the NATO Response Force, NRF, scheduled to become fully operational in October to become more deployable, modern, and responsive. Newland said the NRF must be given capabilities to meet threats, quote, wherever and whenever they may arise. Quote, if the divisive debate over Iraq taught us one thing, this is her, and the lesson she drew from the, quote, divisive debate in Iraq, it is that NATO must be the place where we talk about the issues, all the issues affecting our future. The Middle East, Iraq, North Korea, China, Iran, just to name a few, U.S. Ambassador to NATO Victoria Nuland said. Now, remember the context there was that neocons were furious that they couldn't get the invasion of Iraq approved by the U.N. or by the U.N. Security Council. France and Germany were adamantly opposed, as, of course, were China and Russia. And the lesson Victoria Newland drew is we have to leave aside the U.N. or any other parts of the international community and use NATO as the only weapon or vehicle for fighting the wars we want to fight. And when it came time for the Obama administration, at the time she was working for Hillary Clinton, and it was time for the regime change war in Libya, and Obama was opposed to it, and Hillary Clinton, Samantha Power took the key lead in advocating that Obama join that war. They did it through NATO. Because, of course, the U.N. was never going to approve a war, an unprovoked war in Libya. That was the vision she was working on in the second term of the Bush administration after she had already gotten done invading Iraq. Quote, Nolan's comments indirectly rebut a suggestion earlier this year by German Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder, who said NATO had lost its relevance as the primary venue for transatlantic discussion. German politicians later noted that the alliance fails to discuss many of the most pressing global issues. Nolan said Afghanistan will remain NATO's most important mission for the foreseeable future. She said the NATO-led uh, ISAF stabilization force will by next spring extend its activities to the south of the country. Just imagine you are the one of the leading advocates for the war in 
Iraq, promising that there's all the success in the war in Afghanistan, and then demanding NATO be expanded into Eastern Europe up to the border, including Ukraine, and be used as a tool for regime change operations, including in Libya. You have all these bloody, bloody disasters on your plate. And American public opinion is against all of them. You would think somebody's reputation and credibility in Washington would be crippled as a result of advocating so many destructive policies that resulted in the deaths of so many people unnecessarily for reasons that completely backfired on American foreign in, uh, American interests as they were defined at the time. But that's not how Washington works, ever. Jeffrey Goldberg got caught spreading crucial lies using the pages of the New Yorker, promoting the idea that Saddam Hussein was in alliance with Al-Qaeda, which led 70% of Americans to conclude that Saddam Hussein had participated in the 9-11 attacks, which got them to justify and support the invasion of Iraq. He got journalism awards for spreading that lie on behalf of the U.S. security state. And as we know, he now occupies the position of editor-in-chief of The Atlantic. And he also just got promoted by having a PBS show given to him that has long been called Washington Week. So he's advanced the more he's lied, the more bloody war, 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 uh, bloody wars Victoria Newland is involving herself in and advocating and cheering and justifying the more she advances in bipartisan Washington. It doesn't matter. You could have gone to the polls in 2008 and voted for John McCain. You could have gone to the polls and voted for Barack Obama. And Victoria Nuland would have ended up running things for the State Department. Not only despite all these things she did, but precisely because of them. Under the Obama administration, Victoria Nuland developed a reputation for being an obnoxious diplomat, for somebody who basically went around defending the world with all of her demands that countries basically give up their sovereignty and servitude to the United States government. And she was highly critical of President Obama for not doing more to confront Russia. And then, of course, was one of the key people who spread the steel dossier in the lies of Russiagate before she claimed she was resigning from the Trump administration as though she had any chance to thrive within it. Here from Foreign Policy Magazine in June 2015, some of that history is recounted. The undiplomatic diplomat. Russia hawks in Washington love Victoria Nuland, the State Department's point person for the Ukraine crisis. Many Europeans can't stand her. Quote, this is amazing, this, this article. On, on a sweltering Tuesday afternoon in June, John McCain was working himself up into a lather about the Obama administration's handling of the crisis in Ukraine. McCain, of course, wanted Obama to arm Ukraine. He wanted to confront Russia over their annexation of Crimea. McCain went to that square with Chris Murphy, whose interview we showed you in 2014, where Chris Murphy naively admitted the key role the United States played in helping remove Yanukovych and replacing him with a pro-U.S. leader that hadn't been elected that Victoria Nuland has selected. So here's McCain railing against Obama for not involving the U.S. more in Ukraine. Quote, it's so shameful and disgraceful that it's hard for me to restrain myself, said the Arizona Republican, ticking off a list of perceived White House missteps. He was just about to finish an analogy comparing Barack Obama to Neville Chamberlain. Every foreign policy crisis in the neocon world is always analogized to Nazism. 
Everyone we want to go to war with is, is the new Hitler. You can go back and find almost every American leader who neocons wanted to go to war with being depicted as the new Hitler. There's like 15 new Hitlers in the last 20 years, obviously now including Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump. Whoever is an enemy of the neocon is immediately Hitler. And anybody who questions neocon warmongering is Neville Chamberlain, the British prime minister who was disgraced for appeasing Hitler. It, they don't know any other event in history besides that one. So, of course, McCain was about to compare Barack Obama to Neville Chamberlain for refusing to confront Moscow over Ukraine. Obama's view always was Ukraine is not a vital interest to the United States, which was Trump's view, too. Then a reporter interjected with a new question. Quote, what did the senator think about the top U.S. diplomat assigned to the conflict? McCain paused, and his demeanor changed dramatically. Quote, I'm a great admirer of hers. He said of Victoria Nuland, America's most senior diplomat for Europe, quote, she's very, very smart. McCain's gushing approval of Victoria Nuland is shared by many on Capitol Hill, including large numbers of Democrats. But there's one place where Nuland is far more polarizing, Europe, the very continent where her job requires her to cultivate strong and trusting relationships. In interviews with foreign policy, her European colleagues have described her as, quote, brash, direct, forceful, blunt, crude, and occasionally undiplomatic. But they also stress that genuine policy differences account for their frustrations with her. In particular, her support for sending arms to Ukraine as the country fends off a Russian-backed rebellion, a policy not supported by the White House. Nuland, a career foreign service officer, is the State Department's point person on the Ukrainian crisis and the boss of all 50 U.S. embassies in Europe and Eurasia. As the fighting... Okay. That is amazing. Barack Obama ran for president in 2008, denouncing the Bush-Cheney foreign policy in general, the war in, uh, on terror and the invasion of Iraq in particular, as great moral evils. And then he appointed as his secretary of state a, two senators who were crucial in advocating for the invasion of Iraq, Hillary Clinton and then John Kerry. And then he took the person who was at Dick Cheney's side in the war on terror and the invasion of Iraq, and then was made U.S. ambassador to NATO under the Bush administration and put her in charge of Ukraine and as the boss of all 50 embassies in Europe and Eurasia. Do you see the theater of these bipartisan conflicts around election time and how vapid and meaningless they are? John McCain's ready to call Barack Obama Neville Chamberlain, but then when he's asked about Victoria Newland, he says, God, I love Victoria Newland. She's fantastic. John McCain, the most pro-war senator in the last several decades, along with people like Lindsey Graham and Joe Lieberman and Victoria Nuland. Of course he loves Victoria Nuland, but Obama also is the one who empowered her by letting Hillary Clinton empower her first. Quote, as the fighting in eastern Ukraine killed more than 6,400 people and plunged U.S.-Russian relations to levels unseen since the Cold War, Nuland has spent months shutting across the Atlantic in an attempt to forge and maintain a united Western response to Moscow's aggression. Her popularity in Washington. Do you see this is 2015? She's highly popular in Washington despite being associated with the ideology that Obama ran against and that was supposedly discredited in neoconservatism. Her popularity in Washington stems from the aggressive rhetoric she employs to castigate the Russians and push the Europeans to take a harder line. Quote, she doesn't tend to pull her punches, said Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat of Connecticut. 
who prides himself on his progressive foreign policy credentials. I'm an enormous fan of Toria. That's what they call her in Washington, Toria. Everyone inside Washington doesn't call her Victoria, but Toria. So you have Chris Murphy, supposedly this progressive star, who got elected from the very blue state of Connecticut, who went with John McCain to pledge support for anti-government protesters in Ukraine trying to remove Yanukovych despite the fact that he was elected by the Ukrainian people and had another year to serve under the Constitution. And then it was Toria, who John McCain and Chris uh, Murphy are enormous fans of, Dick Cheney's top advisor during the Iraq War, who facilitated that by helping to plot the removal of Yanukovych and the person who replaced him. We all heard that telephone call that was recorded and leaked. We played it for you many times. Despite her unassuming title, Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs, Nuland has been a major player in U.S. foreign policy for years, working both for neoconservative Republicans and liberal Democrats. Wow, that's amazing that you can do that. It's almost like they don't really have any differences between them. During former President George W. Bush's administration, she was Vice President Dick Cheney's Principal Deputy National Security Advisor. Before assuming her current job, she worked under Hillary Clinton as the State Department's spokeswoman. Quote, as the most prominent member of the unique, some say improbable, Dick Cheney-Hillary Clinton Alumni Association, she has earned the trust and confidence of Democrats and Republicans alike, Secretary of State John Kerry said at Nuland's swearing-in ceremony in September 2013. I don't see it as all improbable to be a alumni of the Dick Cheney-Hillary Clinton Association. That makes complete sense to me. They are very similar in their foreign policy views. Even though they are supposedly completely different in their outlook, blah, 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 they both are a huge fan of Victoria Nuland for a reason, as is John Kerry. All of them voted for the Iraq War. All of them are steadfast advocates of coups. When there was a coup of the democratically elected leader in Egypt, John Kerry applauded it as an advancement of democracy, even though uh, Prime Minister Morsi had just been elected by the Egyptian people. I know a lot of people in the United States don't like Morsi. He nonetheless actually was elected, and the United States helped remove him from power, the first elected president in Egypt in decades and replaced him with a military leader, General Sisi, who had never been elected by anybody. That's what they all believe in. This is what they all do. They go around the world removing democratically elected leaders at will and replacing them whoever they want. But then when it comes time that they actually want to install a leader who is democratically elected, who has been removed, like in Niger, they all pretend to be aghast at coups and in favor of democracy. But this history is known, even though it's not known to the corporate media, to the rest of the world, which is why it provokes nothing but a laughing fit everywhere. It's why the people of Niger, the generals, just laughed in her face and refused to let her even visit the prior government. Maura Newland, quote, the daughter of the late Sherwin Newland, a renowned Yale University professor, and the wife of Robert Kagan, a prominent neoconservative writer, Newland has long been surrounded by powerful and evocative communicators. Kagan, a co-founder of the Project for the New American Century and one of the foremost boosters for the disastrous U.S. invasion of Iraq, that's her husband, is no stranger to ruffling the feathers of Europeans. In the early aughts, he penned a widely read essay about the growing split between the United States and Europe on foreign policy. When it came to military force, he said, Americans are from Mars and Europeans are from Venus. 
He's talking there about the fact that the French and Germans knew it would be a disaster to invade Iraq. It would create instability in the region. It would strengthen Iran. It would create a power vacuum for all sorts of extremists, which is how ISIS arrived. And to this day, neocons hate Europeans for having been against that war, which to this day, people like Victoria Newland and her husband, Robert Kagan, think was the wise thing to do. Obviously, no one in their family was killed. No one in their family fought. That's always true for all these wars. But they still believe it was the wise and noble thing. At her swearing-in ceremony, Newland, Newland referenced Kagan's essay in a heartfelt testament to their marriage. He is my Mars. He is my Venus. He is my planet Earth, she said. Last year, Newland and Kagan told Politico that they fell in love, quote, talking about democracy and the role of America in the world on one of their initial dates. Now, we devoted a show previously to her husband, Robert, uh, to, to Bill Crystal. And her husband, Robert Kagan, Victoria Newland's husband, Robert Kagan, played a crucial role in that show and in the trajectory of Bill Clinton because Robert Kagan was the partner and co-author and the co-creator of this, new Amer- this project for a new American century, which was the think tank in the mid-90s that created modern-day neoconservatism. It was pressuring President Clinton constantly to adopt more aggressive posture when it came to regime change in Iraq. In general, it was demanding even that the United States go to war with Iran to regime change, to facilitate regime change in Iran. President Clinton notoriously bombed Iraq during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, and a lot of people accused him of trying to distract from those scandals and the impeachment hearing that commenced as a result by bombing Iraq. And at the time, Bill Crystal was writing articles with Robert Kagan in the New York Times and in the Weekly Standard saying bombing Iraq is not enough and we need to do a lot more, including invading Iraq. This was before 9-11 in order to remove Saddam Hussein from power. And then once 9-11 happened, they, of course, attached themselves to it, pretending they wanted to do it in the wake of 9-11, even though they had wanted to do it long before, just like a lot of Democrats wanted to usher in a new war on terror domestically well before January 6th and then use January 6th as the pretext to do it. Then they had their media allies like Jeffrey Goldberg go out and tell people Saddam Hussein was directly involved in the 9-11 attack. They had people like David Frum who were working inside the Bush White House writing speeches, including the 2002 State of the Union speech, blaming Iraq falsely for the anthrax attacks on the United States. It was a major propaganda push. These people ought to be disgraced and out of power forever. And yet there is nobody more powerful than neocons in Washington. Neocons have never been more powerful because they all postured as anti-Trump Uh, Fanatics, and they were truly against Donald Trump for the reasons that Donald Trump ran in 2016 on a platform of condemning their foreign policy. They actually do hate Donald Trump. And that was the only time these people were out of power. But because they postured as anti-Trump fanatics, they had a rejuvenation of their reputation among establishment liberalism. They all got rehired by... Networks, they became heroes to the American liberal left. And now, of course, they are the most vigorous advocates of the war in Ukraine, which, as we know, is largely supported by liberal Democrats, 75% of whom support that war, even as a majority of Americans turn against it. 
Victoria Newland's whole family is like a neocon dynasty. Robert Kagan's father was Donald Kagan, a hardcore neocon during the war on terror. And they have other family members, including his brother, who's married to Kimberly Kagan, who is a, who was the intellectual creator of the surge. Uh, here we have actually an article from 2007 that I wrote when Howie Kurtz had said that when Robert Kagan had written, written an article in the Washington Post, an op-ed, praising the surge without mentioning that it was his own family, including his brother, who were the pioneers of this surge. There was no disclosure that he was praising his own family's military strategy to keep everybody connected and hooked into the war in Iraq. And here you see the article, the kind of drawing of these connections. Quote, apparently the Kagan family has locked up a surge monopoly. Fred, who's Robert Kagan's brother, designed it. They sold it to the president, and now the whole family is now held up by our media, which is the Washington Post and Weekly Standard as the experts to whom we should turn in order to learn if the surge is or isn't working. They'll be honest and tell us, as Matt Iglesias put it, Iglesias put it today, quote, maybe someone we can get, maybe someday we can get Donald Kagan's take on all of this. If only the whole world were made up of members of the Kagan family, then maybe George Bush would be a really popular president. As noted yesterday, editor and publisher, which was the media criti uh, uh, criticism magazine, criticized the Post for failing to disclose that the surge, which Robert Kagan was declaring a success, was designed by his own brother, Frederick Kagan of the American Enterprise Institute. Andrew Sullivan previously noted that the Weekly Standard had been using the same tactic, tactic employing Fred Kagan's wife, Kimberly, to write all about the great things happening with the surge without disclosing that her husband is its principal sponsor. This is Victoria Nuland's whole family. They're all fanatical neocons. They've been around for years urging that other American families go and fight the wars that, for whatever reason, in the Middle East, they're desperate to launch. And now she has bring, brought the same mentality to Ukraine and to Russia. You can point a direct line between Victoria Nuland and the provocations that led to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, particularly her role in the second Bush administration when they were plotting to expand NATO up to the Russian border and seeing NATO as the only alternative for getting the wars that they wanted enacted because Europe was turning against them and the EU and the UN could no longer be a vehicle for doing it. The one time Victoria Newland was out of power, which was, as I said, the Trump administration, she spent her time as the CEO of a think tank called the Center for a New American Security. You can only imagine what their ideology was. It was cheering every war. And here is what uh, the Defense News reported about that organization. Quote, Victoria Nuland, a longtime U.S. State Department official, has been named the new CEO of the Center for a New American Security Think Tank, while former Deputy Secretary of Defense Bob Work will be stepping up his involvement with the group. 
Nguyen comes to the group with a strong bipartisan background under the George W. Bush administration. She served as Deputy National Security Advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney and Deputy Chief of Mission for the United Nations, the United States at NATO before becoming the full ambassador to NATO in Bush's second term. She then became the State Department spokeswoman for President Barack Obama's first term, later transitioning to Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs from September 13 until the end of the Obama administration. Here in the Wall Street Journal, right after Obama won the 2008 election, the paper described how Obama was using the Center for a New American Security, which she went on to run, as the pool from which he was taking his foreign policy team. Even though it was filled with neocons of the kind that he had just won a presidential campaign by ranting against. Quote, the Center for a New American Security, a small think tank here with generally middle-of-the-road policy views, is rapidly emerging as a top farm team for the incoming Obama administration. When President-elect Barack Obama released a roster of his transition advisors late last week, many of the national security appointments came from the ranks of the Center, which was founded by a pair of former Clinton administration officials in February 2007. The think tank's central role in the transition effort suggests that its policies, which include rejecting a rejecting a fixed timeline for a withdrawal from Iraq, will get a warm reception within the new administration. So they wanted, even four years into the war, to stay in Iraq indefinitely. Democrats in 2006, Nancy Pelosi became speaker, promising to defund the war in Iraq. Americans were overwhelmingly against it. Obama ran against it, especially when he was running against Hillary Clinton. And then as soon as he wins, he turns around and draws from a think tank a bunch of people who are called centrists who, of course, support American wars and don't want the war in Iraq to end. Here is a list of its contributors, the people who finance and donate to it from September 21 to September 22. It's taken from their own site. This is the group that Victoria Newland ran when she was finally out of government for four years. People who donated $5,000, $500,000 and above include Northrop Grunman Systems Corporation, one of the major companies of the arms industry. They, of course, were happy to finance the group Victoria Newland was running. Open Philanthropy, which is connected to George Soros. The U.S. Department of Defense and the Secretary of the Air Force so even the security state was financing this supposedly independent group. And then you had more modest donors, over $250,000. That included Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, who's a fanatical pro-war activist. You have Lockheed Martin, another member of the arms industry, the Open Society Foundation, which is George Soros, the Defense Department, another part of the Pentagon financed it, another office of the Defense Department, why do you think they're financing these groups that Victoria Nuland is running? Because they crave the kinds of wars that generate profit for them. And then over $100,000, you had Amazon Web Services that has a gigantic contract with the CIA, Apple, the Bank of America, Carl and Nancy Glasser, the Carnegie Corporation, Chevron, Comcast, and many others. Those are only up to C. So you can see exactly where Victoria Nuland's power base is. It's in the arms industry and the Pentagon, the people who always want more and more work. She's perfect at that. 
Here in 2018 in Politico is an article by Susan Glasser, who claimed to be a progressive for a while. She's now at The New Yorker, I believe. She was one of those people who just got obsessed with everything anti-Trump. She wrote an essay, obviously designed to be a kind of hagiography of Victoria Newland, incredibly uh, worshipful, venerating Victoria Newland. But there's parts of this article that are amazingly interesting in terms of what they actually acknowledge Victoria Newland did and then what they said about it. So here's a subheadline. Former top diplomat Victoria Newland tells the story of how she pushed the Obama administration to do more to stop Russian hacking. They were turning into her hero in 2018 because she was the one who was one of the originators of Russiagate. She believed the Steele dossier. She said Christopher Steele was an incredibly well-known and credible intelligence source that had fed her information previously. I'm sure he had. And this whole article is about how her spidey sense made her know that Russiagate was an extremely serious problem, and she pushed President Obama to take much stronger action against Russia. She's been pushing the U.S. government to confront Russia in so many ways for so many years. Quote, she had known since the late 2015, since late 2015, that the DNC's uh, email servers had been hacked. All those months later, the stolen DNC emails were being publicly released by websites known to be Russian conduits. They mean WikiLeaks. That has never proven to be a Russian conduit, but of course that doesn't, you don't need evidence to say this in corporate media. Right on the eve of the Democratic Convention, and U.S. intelligence agencies would soon confirm the hack to be a Russian operation. Quote, that's when the hairs really went up on the back of our necks. She apparently has a lot of hair on the back of her neck. It went up when she learned that Russiagate was real. She recounted in an interview with the Global Politico, her first extensive public comments about what it was like to spend months in the middle of the U.S. government's halting, frustrating attempts to understand the Russian attack on the U.S. electoral system and then try to figure out how to respond to it. Newland is now confirming publicly that she pushed Obama to respond more aggressively to the hacking before the election and acknowledging that she and others at the State Department were informed by, quote, sometime in late June, July about the inflammatory findings of former British intelligence officer Christopher Steele, apparently linking the Russian effort to Republican candidate Donald Trump. Do you see she was at the middle of the Steele dossier fraud? And the conspiracy theory that was debunked by Robert Mueller that the Trump campaign collaborated criminally with the Russian government to hack these emails. That was Victoria Nuland, too. In the interview, Nuland said she was familiar with Steele's work through regular reports he had passed on to her office over the previous several years dealing with political maneuverings in Russia and Ukraine. She was getting her information while at the State Department from Christopher Steele, the complete fraud behind the Steele dossier. A professional Russia hand who started at state in the waning days of the Soviet Union and served as U.S. ambassador to NATO during Bush's presidency and State Department spokesman, spokeswoman for Hillary Clinton before being promoted under John Kerry, Nguyen was known as one of the most hawkish members of Obama's team when it came to Russia. At the time, Nguyen was a year into her role as Obama's assistant secretary for Europe. She had been in Kiev frantically working. Okay, listen to this. She had been in Kyiv. This is under Obama. She had been in Kyiv. This is an essay designed to venerate her. Frantically working behind the scenes to put in place a new governing coalition in Ukraine as it teetered on the brink of revolution against its Russia-backed leader, Viktor Yanukovych. 
Now remember, Viktor Yanukovych was elected by the Ukrainian people. And in an essay designed to make you think Victoria Nuland is some sort of highly noble State Department leader filled with integrity, they just openly acknowledge that she was plotting on which government should be installed once the elected leader of Ukraine was toppled. And they don't mention that in any negative way at all. That's something you just are supposed to read and appreciate about her. Then they say, quote, the same Yanukovych should be noted who was being advised at the time of future Trump campaign chief Paul Manafort. Now, this is an article that isn't just praising Victoria Nuland in general. It is praising her in particular for being so angry and alert to Russia's alleged interference in our democracy. And in the same exact article, the same article, it talks about how a year and a half earlier, she plotted to topple Ukraine's government and replace it with one that she thought was better in a video, or an audio rather, that we've all heard. Only the American corporate media is capable of putting those two things side by side, praising her for opposing and being angry about Russian interference while acknowledging blithely that she engineered regime change in Ukraine and not understanding those two things are in conflict. But that's why Victoria Nuland remains so popular in Washington, because she is the queen of those kind of double standards. Imagine being in Niger and Victoria Nuland lands in your country to lecture you on the sanctity of democracy, knowing what her record is. No wonder they sent her with her tail between the legs, going back to Washington with nothing in return other than a middle finger in her face. Wouldn't you? That's how she's seen everywhere in the world except Washington and the media outlets that serve it. Quote, Victoria Nuland served five presidents and 11 secretary of state in her 32 years in the Foreign Service. In our wide-ranging interview about a career that began with Ronald Reagan and ended with her fears that Trump would junk the NATO alliance that she had worked so hard to sustain, Nuland joked that she had a, quote, Forrest Gump-like knack for ending up in the midst of historic events like being in Moscow for the August 1991 coup that spelled the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union. The Russians had eavesdropped on a phone call between Newland and the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, and the audio they leaked of her decidedly undiplomatic language dropped like a bomb in the midst of her delicate efforts to control European counterparts into doing more with the Ukrainians. An F-bomb, to be more precise. Fuck the EU, Newland had exclaimed in exasperation to her colleagues. Obama declined to fire her when the call became public, but the Russians did succeed in embarrassing Newland who was forced to make public and private amends for her salty language and the bruised feelings it left behind. Do you see how, to the corporate media, and I can read you a hundred of these articles talking about this recording of Newland, the only thing they think is notable about this recording or embarrassing in any way is the fact that she used a bad word to talk about the Europeans and offended the Europeans. The fact that she got caught on tape plotting a coup in Ukraine and who to install once their democracy was destroyed, is not even noted there. It's like it's not even part of what matters about this recording. What matters is that only she said, fuck the EU. Who cares about that? But again, toppling foreign government is what is expected of people who want to thrive in the State Department or the U.S. government, just like lying in behalf of the security state is expected if you want to thrive in corporate media. 
Quote, and indeed, even as Newland and I were speaking on Friday up the Capitol Hill, Representative Devin Nunez, the Republican chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, was putting out a document based on classified information that sought to call into question the origins of the FBI's investigation into Trump's alleged Russia ties. It was a highly partisan memo, and one whose main goal seems to be not shedding light on how and why Russia successfully targeted the 2016 U.S. elections, but on discrediting the, discrediting the American law enforcement institutions looking into it. In these people's minds, printing the truth about the U.S. intelligence community is the biggest sin if that information reflects poorly on the U.S. intelligence community. That's called discrediting the U.S. intelligence community, which apparently is a way that you leak in the United States. Now, there has been a lot of reporting on how central Victoria Newland has been to Russiagate, here you see an article in the Daily Caller, Victoria Newland, who Biden will reportedly nominate for a top government post, boosted the Steele dossier at the State Department. It goes through a lot of the same evidence we just went through about how she trusted the Steele dossier. She vouched for it. She went into the media and told people to trust it because Christopher Steele was a trustworthy source. This, is, this should have pruned somebody's career in and of itself, never mind all the other things. But needless to say, it made the media worship her even more. Pushing the U.S. toward war with Russia, one of the most reckless and irresponsible things you could do, it was even avoided during the Cold War, has probably been Victoria Nuland's primary career goal after she was done destroying Iraq and Libya and Syria. In 2020, still out of the government because Donald Trump was president, she wrote an article on foreign affairs, the title of which was Pinning Down Putin how a confident America should deal with Russia. Quote, this is what Victoria Nuland wanted. Putin has always understood that a belt of increasingly democratic, prosperous states around Russia would pose a direct challenge to his leadership model and risk reinfecting his own people with democratic aspirations. By that, she means she wants to put NATO countries all over Ukraine, all over Russia, all around Russia that are controlled by NATO and controlled by the United States. Quote, this is why Putin was never going to take a live-and-let-live approach to former Soviet lands and satellite states. Instead, he seized on practically every democratic struggle of the last 20 years. Kosovo's successful push for independence in 2008, the protests that set off the Syrian civil war in 2011, protests in Moscow in 2011-2012, the maiden uprising in Ukraine in 2014, to fuel the perception at home of Russian interest under siege by external enemies. Note how she includes the protest in Moscow. For all the, just the complaining and the rendering of garments over Russian interference in American democracy in 2016 because of some Facebook pages and Twitter bots, the State Department that was run by Hillary Clinton, of which Victoria Nuland was a part, for which she was the spokeswoman, openly funded anti-Putin protests in 2011, funded anti-Kremlin groups in the name of promoting democracy. That is real interference in, the country, in, a, in another country's political affairs, internal affairs. And she's talking as well about things like the CIA attempt to remove Bashar al-Assad. She's saying, look at how Putin victimizes himself by acting like this is U.S., 
or NATO pressure on Russia when, of course, that's exactly what it is and intended to be. She wants a war with Russia. She craves it. You can smell it in everything she writes. Quote, in no small measure, the United States and its allies have enabled Putin's boldness. That's the standard neocon argument that if you don't stand up to someone and fight wars against them, you're enabling their boldness. Over the past 12 years, Putin and his cronies have paid a relatively small price for their actions. Russia has violated arms control treaties, fielded new destabilizing weapons, threatened Georgia's sovereignty, seized Crimea and much of the Donbass, and propped up despots in Libya, Syria, and Venezuela. Oh, the U.S. hates so much propping up despots. Like in Saudi Arabia and Egypt, for example, they would never do that. That's what Russia does. It has used cyber weapons against foreign banks, electric grids, and government systems, interfered in foreign democratic elections, and assassinated its enemies on European soil. The United States, meanwhile, has drawn red lines that later erased, pulled out of treaties and territory it needed to pressure Russia. We pulled out of territory we needed to pressure Russia, territory that was not ours. Openly questioned its own commitment to NATO, strained its alliances with tariffs and recriminations, and even lent presidential credibility to Putin's disinformation campaigns. The challenge for the United States in 2021 will be to lead the democracies of the world in crafting a more effective approach to Russia, one that builds on their strengths and puts stress on Putin where he is vulnerable, including among his own citizens. So again, she wants to interfere in Russia and stimulate and finance and support anti-Russian or anti-Putin agitators while denouncing Russian attempts to interfere in America. Do you see what these people are? Quote, to call this great power competition or a new Cold War would be to give Putin too much credit. Today's Russia pales in comparison to the Soviet adversary. Then why are you so obsessed with having the U.S. confront it? The U.S. president must lead a campaign to harden democratic societies against Russia's efforts to interfere in free elections, spread disinformation, inflame societal tensions, and conduct political influence campaigns. That is what she does in life. All those things she's attributing to Russia. They also need to negotiate changes to the profit structure of the Internet, which currently favors virality over truth and allows Putin trolls army to get paid by Facebook, YouTube, and other digital platforms while prosecuting their covert war. So more censorship for the Internet, too, in the name of stopping Russia. And there is no reason why Washington and its allies shouldn't be willing to give Putin a dose of his own medicine inside Russia while maintaining the same deniability. In other words, interfere in Russia and then lie to the public and say we're not doing it. Today, Russia bombs hospitals and schools in Idlib province to regain territory for Assad and uses the threat of new refugee waves to deter Turkey, EU countries, and the United States from pushing back. Russian troops regularly test the U.S. forces left in Syria and try to gain access to the country's oil fields and smuggling routes. Why does the U.S. have forces in Syria? If these U.S. troops left, nothing would prevent Moscow and Tehran from financing their operations with Syrian oil or smuggled drugs and weapons. The U.S. footprint in Syria need not be large, but it cannot be zero unless Washington wants to ensure that Putin emerges as the Middle East definitive power broker. This is exactly the kind of stuff that you would be reading from Bill Crystal and every other neocon, David Frum, back in 2000, back in 1997, in 2002, in 2006. Everything is always, the United States is being too weak in confronting its foreign adversaries. We need to be bombing more, confronting more, invading more, interfering in other countries more, 
if you were Russian or Iranian or Chinese and you read anything by Victoria Nuland, you would understand immediately that your country is being threatened by this mad neoconservative ideology that continues to this very day in the form of her and others to be more empowered than ever. During the last parts of 2022, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which was going to be the key to Russian economic growth, as well as the ability of Germany and Europe to get cheap natural gas and not have to buy it more expensively from the United States, was blown up. The media allies of the U.S. security state unbelievably came forward and tried to convince people that Russia blew up their own pipeline even though it was something they invested enormous amounts of money in, were counting on for the future, and were using as leverage against Europe during the war, why would they possibly blow up their pipeline? And yet it was Joe Biden and Victoria Nuland who repeatedly on tape threatened to blow up Nord Stream 2 if the Germans didn't cancel it. It was pure industrial terrorism. It was a pipeline between Germany and Russia. Aside from the fact that it was one of the worst environmental disasters in years, it released more methane into the ocean and into the air than the use of entire nation's fossil fuel consumption for the year. It should have had Greta Thunberg protesting it instead of visiting President Zelensky. It was really a disaster on every level. And here was Victoria Nuland going before the Senate as a representative of a Democratic administration, Joe Biden's, and giggling with Ted Cruz about how happy they were that it was blown up. Let's watch. Senator Cruz, uh, like you, I am, and I think the administration is very gratified to know that Nord Stream 2 is now, as you like to say, a hunk of metal at the bottom of the sea. And you just see like her glee. And she describes it in the most violent way possible. This is who she is. And it's not just who she is, it's Washington, who Washington is, who the corporate media is. To this very day, people who talk about the fact that the United States seems to have worked with Ukraine to maintain biological labs, research labs in Ukraine that are so dangerous that we have to fear the possibility they may end up in Russian hands are called conspiracy theorists. In fact, people succeeded in including in my Wikipedia page the accusation that I was a conspiracy theorist because I talked about the existence of these biological research labs. And what is always forgotten is the fact that it was Victoria Nuland, while she was talking to an extremely sympathetic Marco Rubio, again, a member of a Democratic administration, obviously beloved by one of the most pro-war Republican senators in Washington, Marco Rubio. Everyone loves Victoria Nuland in Washington. He was trying to get her to deny the existence of these labs, and instead she accidentally admitted it. And then it became taboo to wonder what it was she was talking about. Let's review that. This is from March of 2022, just two months into the war. Um, I only have a minute left. Let me ask you. Um... Does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those 
research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda groups are already putting out there all kinds of information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or, uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. I love how they always attribute to Russia the most basic human behaviors. The Russians invented blackmail. That's why it's called compromise. Nobody ever knew blackmail before the Russians introduced it. The Russians invented whataboutism, meaning if you criticize the Russians, they will point to something that their critic did as well that's equally bad or similar, as though no one ever did that before. The Russians invented that also. And apparently the Russians invented projection, accusing other people of what you plan to do. But notice Marco Rubio wanted Victoria Nuland, when he asked her that leading question about biological and chemical weapons, to just say, no, of course Ukraine doesn't have those. And instead, she made a mistake and started talking about the dangerous biological research labs the Ukrainians have in Ukraine that are so dangerous She's concerned they may have fallen to Russian hands. The excuse afterward became, oh, she was just talking about old Soviet research facilities, which Moscow already has because it was part of the USSR. But if that's the case, why would she be afraid of them falling into Russian hands? Moscow would already have them by definition. We never got an answer on that because immediately the corporate media rallied around Victoria Nuland and said anyone who tries to make anything out of those comments or who questions her in any way is a conspiracy theorist serving Russian propaganda, which is exactly what Marco Rubio suggested. What you see here more than anything is the absolute lie that there are the radical differences between the two parties, especially when it comes to foreign policy and war. She not only just just got transferred from one position to the next, going up the ladder, regardless of which party controlled the White House, she's beloved in Washington by everybody. She got referred to as an unlikely graduate of the Dick Cheney-Hillary Clinton Alumni Association, when in fact that makes all the sense in the world that people could comfortably work for Dick Cheney and Hillary Clinton and be loved by both because they have the same view of the world. The bipartisan war class in Washington is the same, and she is its poster child. You would think the fact that Joe Biden just made as his deputy secretary of state in line to become secretary of state if he's reelected the person who was Dick Cheney's top advisor for the Iraq war, that would be something strange to people. Or the fact that she was behind the Russiagate fraud or cheering every war in the last 20 years, but it's not strange. It's extremely customary. It's illuminating of how Washington works. Washington is a place that depends on endless war. They use regime change operations whenever they want, even while they lecture the world about democracy. And just as Jeffrey Goldberg Got promoted. The more he lies, Victoria Newland will be promoted. The more she advocates for other people's bloodshed, for confrontation that can lead to more wars and with just aggression in general, because ultimately that's what Washington depends on. It's what Washington craves the most. And there are a few people who serve that more effectively than Victoria Newland. 
That concludes our show for this evening. As a reminder, System Update is also available on uh, in, in podcast form, where you can follow us on Spotify, Apple, and every other major podcasting platform. As another reminder, every Tuesday and Thursday night, we have our after show on Locals, which means we'll have that tomorrow night, which is designed to take your questions and respond to your feedback. That is available for subscribers through our local community, which you can join by clicking the Join button right below the video player here on the Rumble page. For those of you who've been watching, we are, as always, Always very appreciative, and we hope to see you back tomorrow night in every night at 7 p.m. Eastern, exclusively here on Rumble. Have a great evening, everybody.